started, we're having some uh, cabling issues that uh, should come along shortly. We'll probably get started without the, without the slide and kind of go, uh, go from there. So welcome, uh, everybody. Uh, it's always good to see a, a, a packed and still smiling uh, audience. Um, I know it's been a long, a long con. So have you been enjoying yourself so far? Yeah. yeah. Good. Um, then you're doing it right. Um, so uh, happy Father's Day to the, uh, the fathers that are out there uh, as well. So uh, well done on that. Um, so we, what we wanted to do is we wanted to have a little bit of a, a, a conversation about um, uh, some of the topics that we know. We're, uh, we're, we're educators, uh, career educators, a lot of us, a lot of us uh, <coughs> current military or retired military as well. Uh, we all teach at the Air Force Academy. Uh, we teach leadership and other topics. And so um, we were kind of sitting around and we, we talked a lot about movies, we talked about a lot of things. And we realized we kind of share some common interests. Some of those interests are uh, leadership, uh, group dynamics that happened, and, and the event, right, among other, among other <laughs> topics. And so um, wh who we have here today, I'm, I'm uh, Dr. Doug Lindsay. Uh, my background is in industrial organizational psychology with kind of a focus on leadership. So I study organizations and how organizations function and how they run. Um, sitting next to me, Dr. Dan Matola, uh, didn't go to, and I'm, I'm from Penn State University, he wasn't fortunate enough to go to Esquire School, he's Michigan State. Um, we are! Um, so, yeah! Uh, so, something else we always talk about. Um, but, uh, but his background is in uh, industrial organizational psychology as well, but he uh, has a focus on uh, groups and teams, so he understands that very well. Sitting next to him, uh, Dr. Christopher Kelly uh, from uh, University of Iowa. Uh, another big Big Ten school, so that's uh, that's good in the family there. Um, studied sociology, leadership, social psychology, and those in those topics. Uh, next to him, uh, Dr. Peter Riley, uh, also uh, a Penn State uh, graduate there as well, uh, which is which is good. Um, and then uh, at the end there, we have uh, Dr. Uh, Jimmy Doe um, from uh, University of Colorado uh, Boulder. His background is. So we thought we would do that today and be a lot of fun to kind of have that conversation. Our goal today is to have a kind of pre present on some topics related to kind of group dynamics um, and leadership, and then turn it over to some Q and A and hopefully get some debate going here. Um, our frame of reference, um, it, because if you open it up to the entire uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, there's 18 or 19 movies, tons of comic books, all of those. We're going to kind of focus on, since we're talking about the Avengers, really kind of four movies, right? The Avenger movie, we're going to talk about Age of Ultron, Civil War, because it kind of fits in there, and then the latest Infinity War. Again, um, that's kind of our frame of reference and where our examples are going to be focused, but we're, we're um, open to, to opening that narrative, uh, knowing that, at least myself too, I'm a little more limited on, on as we start to get out to some of the comic areas on that, but we can certainly um, uh, enter, uh, entertain those ideas. Um, so again, the topics that we're going to talk about today, uh, we're talking a little bit about groups and teams. Uh, are the Avengers a group? Are they a team? Does it matter? Um, and then Dan's going to talk about uh, team development, some of the factors that go into doing uh, some of the team development. Christopher's going to talk about leader emergence, 
Uh, how does the leadership look like in the Avengers? What does it look like in some cases? Uh, and then uh, Peter's going to talk about power um, and uh, what those dynamics look like and how to determine those kind of things. And then Jimmy's going to look at um, uh, team cohesion and, and what that looks like. And obviously, as you start with the Avengers and you go to Infinity War, the whole idea of what the Avengers are is a, is a pretty open construct. So we can, uh, we can have some conversations about that. Um, so, I, I mean, when you look at the Avengers in terms of being a group or a team, um, there's a quote by uh, Nick Fury, as you all are familiar with. Um, there was an idea called the Avengers Initiative. The idea was to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if they could become something more. <laughs> right? To see if they could work together when we needed them to, to fight the battles that we never could. Or, um, to frame that another way, as Loki referred to it, you call on lost creatures to protect you, right? So it really depends on where your perspective is on the Avengers and, and how they do that. Um, but they're referred to, uh, and again, you look at Avengers early on, it's really the six core people, right? But now we're up to, what was Infinity War, like 40 different characters? If you look at the heroes or the villains and who's there and all that, it really kind of stretches this whole dynamic of what is a group, what is a team, how do they play nicely together? Because we know they don't always, right? Um, Tony is, is somewhat difficult to work with sometimes. Captain has his issues with language and so forth and so forth. How do we marry all that stuff together in, in kind of a neat way? And for me, before I turn it over to Dan, if we look at the idea of a group or a team, um, and, and most people use those terms interchangeably, really a group is people working together um, to kind of toward a common task to influence one another. But in a group, um, you can have people and they can work independently of one another. As long as they kind of do their piece, the work gets done. When you move into a team, they're really more interdependent, right? And so the one, if one doesn't accomplish their task, it's really hard to get the mission done. And we see those failures and those challenges as we move through, right? And so they're kind of this loose um, cooperation of people together, this initiative, Agent Coulson dies and all of a sudden they're all, they've kind of got that spark and all of a sudden they realize, you know, maybe we need to work together for some Spoilers, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a spoiler filter, so if you haven't seen that, I figured the fact that you've probably seen that, but, but I'll give it a, on that, thank you, um, stay the love. Um, but, um, and, but and so the way you look at it is, um, all, uh, um, all groups are not teams, but all teams are groups, and so there's kind of that idea of how they, how they work together. Um, and so with that kind of context and knowing where we're at and where we're at, I'm going to turn that over to, uh, uh, to Dan to talk a little bit about team development. How does that happen? How did it do that? Obviously, it played out in the movies. But what are the significances of that? And I'll apologize in advance. I intended to have slides for you, but we were unable to project them at the moment. So instead, I will talk through them. And uh, it may be that I have to hand this over to someone uh, when they come in with the appropriate cables. So, um, Thanks, Doug, for a sort of distinction between groups and teams. Um, for those of you who have attended uh, sessions in the past, like uh, for your company or something about on groups or teams, you might have heard a sort of a somewhat famous model on uh, on uh, group development. Oh, way to go. Um, it's called Tuckman's Development Sequence for Small Groups, and uh, it goes something like this. Um, Forming, storming, norming, and performing. Raise your hand if you've heard that before, those terms. Okay, somewhat famous. Now, the problem with that system is, it's for, uh, well, it's called, it's for small groups. Not necessarily teams, but small groups. And these groups, when they, when they uncovered this model, they were actually working with something called therapy groups. 
In other words, these were people who were brought in purely to do research. They were all sat down, and they didn't really have anything to do except spend some time together and then collect, you know, $20, $30 at the end of the session. And so this is how they sort of came up with this idea of, you know, um, forming, storming, norming. It's the idea that people don't really know what to do, they're uncomfortable, they start to work through it. At some point, they come to some decisions about how they ought to, inter they ought to interact with each other, and then they're ready to do some work. The problem is that's not really how teams work, right? If you're part of a team, like what you would consider to be a team, a sports team or a work team, you know from day one you have things to do, like win the game or get this project done on time. So that model is really a terrible model to use for, for, the, uh, for the Avengers. There's another model out there, which I hope I'll be able to show you shortly. Um, but it's, it starts with the idea that there's some, when teams form, they need to talk a little bit about and develop some identification or commitment to the team. And once that's sort of sorted out, you have your relationship with the team, then you move on to demonstrating your competence. You say, here's why I'm on the team. I'm able to do these things great. Then you start working with the other people on the team, which respect each other and each other's abilities, and you start collaborating to get things done. And once you're really, really good at that, now instead of being reactive and being handed things to do and accomplish well, you start focusing on changing your environment. In other words, I don't wait for you know, Thanos to come and invade the Earth. I take the fight to him because we are really, really good at what we do. So those are sort of the four phases. Formation, you've got a novice team that's focused on demonstrating competence, the, the members in it. Then you've got a team that's working together and focused on teamwork. And then you've got a team that's focused on adaptability. So let me give you some examples from the movies. In team formation, we can look at how certain characters in the Avengers are brought into the team. Uh, the first one I'll talk about is Ant-Man, because um, it's a great example of how difficult it is to be brought into a team. You know, you're, someone wants you to be on the team, or maybe you hear about a team, and you sort of feel awkward, right? You're not sure if they're going to like you, you're going to spend a lot of time with them, are they going to respect you, or are you going to get along with them? And if you remember in uh, um, Civil War, when Ant-Man is dropped off in that parking structure, he gets out of the car, it's really, really an awkward scene, right? He's like, uh, he says things like, uh, you know, I know you, you're great. Doesn't, you know, if you know him that well, you maybe you can, you know, enter, have a proper introduction using names. Also, he's like, I'm shaking your hand too long, aren't I? <laughs> and then my favorite one is the uh, thank you for thanking of me, right? He says that. It's a very awkward scene. Now let's take a look at uh, Hulk, when Hulk is brought into the Avengers at the start of uh, the Avengers. Um, Black Widow shows up in his hiding hole where he's hiding and uh, says, uh, and one of the questions that he asks is, you know, what does Nick Fury want me to do? <coughs> the idea is like, you know, are you going to respect what I can do? Or am I really going to be part of this team? What do you want me for? And she says, you know, nobody knows gamma rays like you. So he knows right off the bat he's going to have an important role on the team, and then he joins the team. So, oh, great. So let me flip through to catch something. Smash. 
and then Hulk proceeds to go off and stand. You, you can already see that they, they recognize that Hulk has a role to play on the team, and they are really happy with his ability to do that. Uh, you know, here's a scene where he you know, pounds uh, Loki into mush, and then at the start of uh, Ultron, um, after Hawkeye gets uh, shot by that bunker and is pinned down, uh, somebody says, hey, I think it was Iron Man or Captain America. If somebody go take out that bunker, Hulk comes along and just kind of runs through it and takes care of it. Um, <laughs> if you watch some of the big battle sequences in these movies, so here on the top here is uh, the New York uh, fight, and this is the start when they attack with uh, Hydra and uh, Sokovia at the start of Ultron. If you actually watch how they fight, you will see they fight very independently. So again, more like a group. Uh, you know, uh, Thor does his thing with his hammer. Uh, uh, Captain America does his thing with his shield. Hawkeye does his thing with his arrows. You see them fighting their way against their enemies. But they're not, very rarely do they work together. So very few instances where, for example, there's a tank coming and Thor slams his hammer into uh, Captain's, Captain America's shield and it sends out this blast of energy and destroys the tank. Those sort of things happen very, very infrequently. So what you really want with a group of people working together as a team is for them to really act like a team, inter interdependently to really accomplish some big things. So in this model, at some point, people are sort of satisfied with how they're presented to the team, and now they're working on how they work together. And so that's where I say in a team development phase, you've got people who are starting to work, try and act more like a team. And so that helps when you have some social bonds, you start to respect each other, work well together, uh, at the top picture here, we see the new shawarma, the prince yeah. at the end of Avengers, right? <laughs> having a good time with the lost team. This is the, the beginning of Ultron after they've gotten the Tesseract back from Hydra. And you know, they're kind of enjoying the, the stories and the little games with the, uh, the hammer. But um, the idea behind working together as a team is that the, 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 uh, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, right? These posters here are commemorating the 10th anniversary of Marvel Studios. And I know you can't read the handbook or the writing, but it says, you know, Captain America, more than just a shield. Hulk, more than just a temper. Uh, Rocket, more than a trash can. Right? <laughs> they have more to contribute than just these sort of little stereotypes. And what you really want is for them to do some big things. So here's a scene from uh, Civil War at the start when they're trying to stop crossbones from taking a, a virus from the infectious disease unit. Um, in this scene, uh, Wanda, uh, basically boosts um, Captain America into the building to go uh, intercept crossbones. And as what he says right before this, he goes, Wanda, just like we practice. So again, they have to work together. And she goes, as she's boosting him, um, what about the gas? He goes, get it out of there. She pulls the gas out of the room. Meanwhile, Falcon lands behind her, spreads his wings, and all the bullets are bounced off his wings rather than Wanda. They are working together to get something done. And these are what makes make, what make the most entertaining fight scenes. It's cool, you know, when uh, somebody gets splatted with Thor's hammer or something like that. But when they work together like this, or if you remember, I don't remember totally because I've only seen the movie once, but Infinity War, there's a spectacular sequence on Venom's planet where they, you know, Guardians and, you know, Iron Man, they're all working together just to pull the wool over his eyes so they can uh, take the gauntlet from him. And again, working together. So the team is moving towards working really as a team. Now, what is it going to take to get the team improvement phase? This is where the team says, you know, we're really going to crushing everything that comes to us. When are we going to start influencing the events around us so that we can sort of take care of our own futures? And I think one thing that's uh, standing in the way of this is this, uh, this little fight we have uh, between, you know, who really, run, who really run, uh, runs the Avengers? There are two different visions for the Avengers. 
And that may keep them from moving into that phase. And I think this is a bit foreshadowing of what others will say. Thanks, Dan. Absolutely. Right. So once you're trying to know the team and how you're going to work together with the team, you figure out who's going to lead that team and how does how does a leader emerge? And there's huge literature on leadership and what that looks like and all those dynamics. We're going to have Christopher come up and talk a little bit about what that looks like for leader emergence and how that's happened across the span of four So uh, I'm a fan of the movies. I enjoy the film, but I'm not an expert in the Avengers. Uh, so uh, what I am an expert in is human behavior. And what's interesting about good film and uh, good literature is it sort of mimics uh, normal life. If it doesn't, not so much that normal, but if their interactions are not those that are not things that you can recognize, you can lose interest. Right, so it's really the, you know, the fight scenes are great, but the interpersonal dynamics are part of most, one of the most interesting parts of the film. Um, so uh, with leader emergence, there are some interesting things I study human behavior. A few things we need to know when we interact with other people, which is who I am, who you are, and what the situation is. And that helps us define our behavior. Now, as the Avengers came together, it's kind of interesting because we have a bunch of characters that people have a lot of stake in. Right? We, people have uh, an interest in sort of their favorite character, so how do we figure out who's going to be in charge of the whole team? Well, uh, we go back to who I am, who you are, and who other people are. So in order to figure out how I'm supposed to behave in any situation, I kind of got to know those three things about you. So in not every situation, not every situation requires a leader as well. So uh, it's in only in task situations are you really looking for someone to be directive and uh, assign specific tasks to different people in that situation, and that's a leadership role, which is getting people to do things they might not, not otherwise do, and helping them coordinate among one another. Now here at Comic-Con, it's a little bit easier to figure out who I am, who you are, and what the situation is, because people are communicating things to us by how they're dressed, right? They're like, my favorite character is this, my, uh, or I identify with this uh, person. Uh, similarly, uh, people use cues to figure out who might be in the leadership role. So, faster than we can think about it, our mind tries to draw in cultural knowledge uh, to form expectations about what I need to do in this situation. So, uh, who might be the leader? Some of the things we draw on are things that indicate who's going to be most competent for what our goals are in the situation. Indicators of competence might be something like Tony Stark, is pretty wealthy and he runs a company. So immediately we might think, hey, this guy, uh, I should probably defer to him. He looks very, he looks like he has uh, some idea what he's knowing. You can also look at people's behavior. People start being directive. But on top of directive behavior, people also need to have some degree of legitimacy. So those unconscious expectations lead to legitimacy. If someone sort of starts stepping up and giving orders and they're a 12-year-old child, you might not listen to them. Right? Matter of fact, you might actually uh, get angry with them. Now, once people start interacting, we start to see what their competencies actually are. And one of the problems we see with Tony Stark, and I'm not going to step too much on what Peter's going to talk to, is uh, the death nail for leadership is appearing self-interested. So if you look like uh, the way that you're making your decisions and the way you're directing other people's behavior is uh, to serve your own interests, it's hard to convince other people to work together to serve those goals. Now, if you can get people to believe that 
that your goals align well with their goals, and as you're helping them achieve, as we're working together, we're achieving shared goals, leadership is much easier. And we can see that Captain America, uh, what we have is fundamentally two people have emerged as, uh, if you idealize, or the, the two leadership leaders, I wasn't really sure how they were gonna arrive at that. But Captain America doesn't specifically have these things like, it doesn't have, a, Tony Stark has got um, a great wealth and he set a company. Um, Captain America, over time, demonstrates sort of a, a competency and a moral centeredness, and he's, a and he's less directive in his behavior. So you can see, over the course of the films, Captain America gains more and more influence by appearing to have the rest of the group's goals in mind. And I'm going to turn it over to Peter at that point, because I don't want to step on what he said. Yeah, Peter's going to talk about power and the power dynamics go around the idea of He's going to hang out here. <laughs> yeah. So, what I thought an interesting topic to talk about in terms of these team dynamics is the idea of power, especially when we're talking about superheroes who are, you know, people obviously have certain powers to accomplish, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's great. Uh, everyone's important. All right. So let's talk about power in our context. If you're interacting with other people, you might want to say, well, how can I get them to do more of the things that I like to do? Or how can I cooperate with them? All these things that you might try to do in your own world. If we look at the lens of the Avengers and how they interact, uh, as Dr. Kelly mentioned, there is a certain social interaction aspect that starts to establish who's emerging as the leader on this team. And there are some individual things that people do to either reinforce that image of being the leader, or they might even do things that would hurt their attempts to be the leader in a certain situation. We look at Tony Stark. Think about how he interacts with one another. The, the, the conversations or even the, the way he addresses individuals starts to affect his status, status amongst the team. So by referring to certain people like, if you're talking about uh, Agent Coulson, what's his first name? Agent Coulson. Great, great. If you're talking to Tony, his first name is Agent. Right. How about Thor? What's, what is Tony? Yeah, point break, right? Yeah. Spider-Man, kid, uh, talks about Ant-Man, who is this guy? <laughs> and so that is the way that Iron Man or Tony interacts with one another you know, amongst his peers, right? That is a way of maintaining his status. Alternatively, he still does respect other people on the team. When he talks to Banner, he's very reverent to his academic accomplishments, his theories, his capabilities as a scientist. So he always calls him Banner. Even Captain America, even though he might come to grips with uh, uh, philosophically with the approaches that are made lead to an entire movie franchise and a comic book series, <laughs> he might still hold a lot of respect for him. If you ever notice, he always refers to him either as Captain or Cap. So there is that status uh, that he tries to maintain but still shows some respect. Yeah. Good. <laughs> so if you're trying to lead a horde of flying monkeys or the rest of your team, you try to use certain power mechanisms or influence mechanisms. These are the two main things that leaders might try to employ in any social situation. So from a power standpoint, power is usually your way of either punishing or rewarding someone for doing what you want them to do. That's how you're using this power over them. Now when Tony Stark uses his power, he might use things like his wealth, his overall status, his, uh, his, the vision of him as a, a billionaire, 
Playboys, Playboys, right? So that these are all status elements that you can use to kind of yield over individuals. He might uh, even have access to to knowledge that he can either use for himself or try to keep from others as a way of maintaining that status. And so that starts to get into the influence mechanisms we might use. If you talk about influence, these are not the things that we're using to punish reward. Influence is more, well, how do I look up to this individual? How do I respect this individual, and why would I listen to them over someone who I might otherwise not respect? So that's one mechanism. Another thing we might do is, what expertise does this individual have that I might respect enough or covenant enough or value enough to listen to what they're saying. So those are more influence mechanisms. So if you look at Tony Stark, he does use knowledge to some extent, but it's more so to, I'm either going to share this with you or keep it from you. On the other hand, if you look at Captain America, he has a very altruistic approach to all, all these things. He wants to do things because it feels like it's the right thing to do. So when he's giving orders or when he's telling people, he might be very direct, but he's doing it in a way that's helping other people. Think of the scene where uh, he's down on the street, middle of uh, the first Avengers movies, and he's directing the police officers what to do to cordon the area, help some of the some of the victims, and they don't listen to him first off, right? Why? Because he hasn't established any sort of expertise. Then he goes, kills a bunch of aliens, and they're like, "All right, we're going to do exactly what he said." So that is an example of the influence that Captain America might demonstrate. More so than just showing, I am wielding power over you. I'm going to punish you or reward you. I'm going to give you access to money or not. I'm going to take away this cool Spidey outfit that I gave you earlier. These are some of the things that Tony Stark might do. So you kind of see some of the contrast right there between the power mechanisms and the influence mechanisms. The other thing to consider is how selfless, as we mentioned, how selfless Captain America has been. And that automatically starts to give him a different type of status within the team. And people start to look up to him. And not just as a, an image of the right thing to do, but also because he's very uh, well-meaning. And one of the lines he says to Tony Stark, because it's very much in contrast with that, this ideology, is the fact that um, he is only in it for himself. You fight for yourself, uh, and you pretend to be your hero. And that's his vision of Tony Stark, until Tony tries to redeem himself and sees what he's doing and then starts to become a member of the team. So again, if you look at the different <coughs> Might do. You may even see them in your day-to-day -day lives. You don't even have to be an adventure. But people might use certain power mechanisms over you. Either you do things because you'll be rewarded for doing it, or you might be punished for not doing it. Or you might do things because you have a certain reverence for an individual, or they have a certain expertise that you value and, 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 and will help you do your job. So those are more the influence mechanisms. And then finally, the whole uh, this idea of status and um, who emerges eventually as that team leader long-term. We rely on those power uh, mechanisms that are coercive or rewarding. Those can lead to very short-term wins. You can get people to do something very short-term, but the long-term effectiveness of the team really relies on these influence mechanisms. So if you talk about the overall success of the Avengers and where it might be going in the future, those are the types of things that you hope any any team leader might rise up and start using to have a long-term effect. And with that, that segues nicely into uh, uh, Dr. Doe down there. going to talk about team cohesion and how we maintain and uh, develop those teams over time. All right, team cohesion. Um, I'm pretty big on audience participation or in the classroom student participation. <laughs> so um, if you could just please, uh, I'm going to ask you. I'm not going to tell you, so you don't have to do this if you don't want to. But kind of think about the last time you were part of a team 
was a failure. <laughs> I heard some laughs, right? Yeah. What are those things that make a team a failure? Yeah, just shout them out. No communication. Sorry, the uh, person in the back. Too many leaders. No communication. What else? Distress. Distress? Distrust. Distrust. Oh my goodness, one person no, drags them. Lack of clear expectations. Unclear expectations. Bad year. Bad year. Funding. Oh, funding. Oh my goodness, there's a whole slide right there. In the back. Poor team. What's that? Uh, need more people. Poor team cohesion. Oh, you need more cohesion, yeah. We know it likes each other. Okay, I like that, so no one likes each other. Two more. Wrong people, wrong roles. Wrong people, wrong roles. Selfishness. Selfishness. Lawyers. <laughs> they keep me straight. All right, so how about this? Think about, think about a time when you were on a team that wasn't success. What did you do right? What happened? Communication. Good communication. Respect. Good respect, yeah. Participate participate each other. Yeah, like mind reading. <laughs> oh, of course, I mean, that's, that's great. Okay, that's a good Hannibal quote, right? You love it when a plan comes together. Be good to others. Be good to others. <laughs> Very nice. Alright, so these... Okay, so think about the bad things about a bad team, right? Think about the good things that make up a good team, right? So, sociologically, I have my sociological hat on here. There's a couple things we can talk about using the Avengers, right? So the first thing I think uh, is important is uh, gender dynamics, right? So um, men and women, and a very spectrum of men and women, right? So how, using the Avengers, who do we have out there? Who are, let's say, women? Black Widow. Black Widow, Matt. Scarlet Witch. Laura and Mantis. Mantis. Nebula. Uh, um, T'Challa. What does he have? A kingdom. 
or his uh, sister can always make him a new suit, right? So who's maybe uh, on the other end of that socioeconomic spectrum? Bucky. Falcon, right? Bucky, right? Bucky and Cat came from nothing, right? Didn't they grow up in Queens? Yeah. They put newspapers in their shoes, right? Brooklyn, Brooklyn. All right. So you know, there's people who have a lot of stuff, and there's people who don't have a lot of stuff. You know, but what makes a good team work together really well? Right? You care. You're you're kind to each other. People with resources assist the others team members without resources, right? So if you have a good organization or a good team or a good family or you know somebody get the Spanish shield. <laughs> somebody get the Spanish shield. That's really good. Yeah, if you can throw out those quotes, I you know, somebody get the Spanish shield. I love it when a plan comes together. No, although not Avengers, but that was a good team too, right? Um, also, uh, impression management, that's a good sociological um, theory from Goffman, right? Impression management is kind of controlling or kind of self-control over who you are in front of different audiences, right? So when I'm teaching in front of students, you know, that's like I put on my teacher cap. When I'm at Comic-Con, walking through the audience, I put on my comic <laughs> but we're all alike here, aren't we? So how about superheroes? You know? Uh, what does Cap do? Does he turn on and off who he is? No. How about Tony Stark? Kind of sort of, right? But in the first movie, what do you see at the end? I am Iron Man, right? But some other people, some other superheroes have to turn it on and off, you know, like uh I know I'm going to bring these, what's that? Hawkeye. Hawkeye, right? So, you know, he's all like shooting arrows and stuff, and then like on the weekends he goes home. <laughs> <laughs> so it really controls how people view you, right? If you're a part of a team, you know? So this is who you are at work, maybe. This is who you are um, during a meeting. This is who you are if you want to get stuff done, right? And then um, finally, I want to talk about task and social cohesion. So a lot of scholars out there, there's a lot of literature on what makes a good team, right? A lot of literature and research in the military says, you know what, Band of Brothers, that's what's going to get the job done. That's what makes us effective. That, that is a notion of social cohesion, right? We're buddy buddies. We're good friends. So that's what's going to get the job done at the end of the day. But research shows that task cohesion, concentrating on the mission, gets the job done. Think about sports teams. Think about the Avengers. Think about groups that you work with. You have to like each other to get the job done. Right? Look at the Avengers. So, who hates you in the Avengers? <laughs> right? Oh my goodness. What a crazy group. They don't like each other sometimes, but guess what? What is their job at the end of the day? Save the world. So, that task cohesion brings them together and they can say, even though I don't like you, Peter, I mean, I really do. But even though I don't like you, we're going to sit here and have a successful panel. And save the world. <laughs> and save the world, man. Right? For sure, though. Right. So, I mean, it's good to have social cohesion. It's okay if you like each other. But at the end of the day, if you can get everyone on the same page with what the, their job is going to be, you know, whether it's a successful panel, whether it's save the world. You know, if you can get people on board with that goal, it doesn't matter who you have on your team. So, 
Yeah, and, and Andrew helps that, right? It kind of refocuses them a little bit in terms of what's really important versus someone's ego versus trying to save the universe, right? Colson dies and all of a sudden they've got some reason to think about outside of themselves and kind of what's going on. Um, and so uh, we just wanted to give up, I mean, we could talk for half for days really uh, about these different types of topics, but we wanted to spend a little bit of time and, and kick that out to you to see no, it's not quite. Uh, I know Yandu wasn't part of the Avengers and all that, but it makes, me, it makes me chuckle every time I see it. So, um, but I want to open up some questions. What questions do you all have for us? We've got about uh, maybe 12 minutes or so left. Uh, we've got some other things that we can talk about, but we want to um, see if you all have any questions or things to throw out there. Yes, please. So, uh, I'm assuming everybody has seen uh, Infinity War, so I apologize if but, and, you know, at some point, if you're looking at it from the task of defeating Thanos or keeping him from accumulating all the stones, and then he got them all. So as a team dynamic, I think a lot of people look at um, Star-Lord. It was Star-Lord's fault. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, I guess I'm curious as to through your lenses, how do you see that breakdown? How did it occur? It can't ever just be blood and choice cause the failure, but what are your opinions on that through your lenses? It's interesting. I, I think that, um, you know, I watched the movie and, uh, you know, the fight sequence was a little bit of a surprise. They kind of hid what was going to take place, right? Um, you weren't quite sure. Uh, you just kind of watched it unfold. And so I was a little surprised. I mean, it sure looked like it was going to work, right? Um, and uh, I was a little surprised that, you know, you can, all through the movie, there was this sort of little debates about who's really in charge. And who's on charge of the ship? Is it uh, Rocket? Or who's the captain? Is it Rocket? Or is it uh, Star-Lord? And then when they come together with these, you know, just meeting some of the Avengers, you know, who's really in charge here? And so I was really surprised when this, they were going to pull this thing off. Um, and then it sort of falls apart. And uh, maybe it falls apart because the two groups didn't totally understand each other. They didn't realize... They weren't attuned enough to know that this is a trigger for Star-Lord. If he finds out that Mora is something happened to Mora, <laughs> then, uh, then things can go very badly, and, and maybe there's a lack of self-control that really uh, asserts itself and then causes a problem. So I kind of look at that and I'm interested in how others see that. So there's an emotional element to it, right, as well, because even if you have these beautiful team dynamics, you have the mission established, you have your center of focus, but at the end of the day, everyone on the team is human. So if they're dealing with their own emotions and their own uh, issues in the moment, that can supersede sometimes the mission of the team. So that's uh, uh, something that we all have to take care of. Even if we're half God, we are part human. <laughs> <laughs> Who do they have to fight? 
And how are they going to get it done? You know, someone's going to have to um, put them back together.
and you know, solve problems, develop technologies and strategies and so on, it starts to build this confidence, he gets his mojo back, and then maybe one day he can uh, translate that into being home. Yeah, there was a question over here. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so,
If you liked this, check out some of our other shows like Mr. Right, Exotic Liability, and No Applause, Just the Clap. You can find us at www.bacnpodcast.com and by searching for BACN on iTunes and Stitcher.